stand. Let's give the Lord praise this morning. Good to be in God's house. Good to be here, ready and willing to dig into the Word and learn the Word, see what He has for us. So we're going to do that. We're going to go into Sunday school, and we're going to learn. We're going to learn something new. You know, we, we you can read that Bible a hundred times, but if you'll read through it with an open heart and an open mind and you ask God to reveal something new to you, He'll He'll show you something new in it every time. And those the new things that He'll show you will be something that'll help you and guide you through life. Amen. Because, you know, we we all know we've we've all tried to to do this thing on our own and failed. But when you let God be in control, do things God ways, uh works out a lot better for you, don't it, Brother Jim? Amen. <laughs> there you go. Not, not that I'm picking on him, but he understands. He's, he's tried it his way, and he's tried it God's way, and God's way is always the best. So let's pray. Brother Sean, would you pray over this morning's lessons? Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you again for another opportunity that you've allowed us to be blessed coming into your congregation. And we just ask for your Holy Spirit to be loosened within every one of the teachers. Uh, we pray for teachable spirits today, Father, that whatever words brought forth, that it touches our hearts, Lord, and we take it in, and that we do our part when we leave this place, Father. We thank you for all things today, Lord. We give you praise, honor, and glory, and we ask for your will to be done in this service today with everyone here, Father. We anxious, anxiously await for whatever it is you want to give to us, Father, and we come expecting great and mighty things. We love you, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Good morning, Rock Harbor. Good morning. Good to see all of you this morning. We're on page 41 in our study guides. Moving along. Christ's messages to the churches, part one. Uh, Jesus Christ instructs his churches. Key verse, Revelation 2 and 1. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. Introducing the study, says, On the surface, the messages to the churches in Asia Minor might seem specifically directed at those people in that time. But with some examination, it becomes clear that principles within these messages are as relevant today as they were at the time Jesus revealed them to John. One word that I want to, and it's not even really, I mean, it's, it's, it has to do with the lesson, but I, I wanted to kind of use the word uh, this morning, and and I don't know if you've looked ahead, I'll say this and then we'll, we'll move on with the, that particular word. If you'll notice, if you'll look ahead, there are not three, but four sections to this lesson. So I'm going to try to scoot through this because I want to, I'd like to finish because everything in this lesson is what, like the word says here, relevant. And so let me use that word and, and put it in a, another context. So it says here, they said, it becomes clear that the principles within these messages are as relevant today as they were in the time Jesus revealed them uh, to John. Yeah, relevance too, and, and this is the thing that I noticed today is is we've taken <clears throat> no no let me let me rephrase that the church in some areas has taken the 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 things that God has taught us and made what was once relevant irrelevant does that make sense made what was once relevant irrelevant and so a, a quick question do you guys think that that the blood of Jesus is relevant 
I think it's relevant. I mean, I think it's a, that's a relevant thing. Is, is talking about sin relevant? Yeah, it's relevant. It's got value. The, the, the thing we talked about in the past is, is uh, and I keep reminding, I remind people, this, we actually had an interesting conversation, even with my own children, about this the other night, about relevance and irrelevance, and, and about what's relevant and what's objective and what's subjective. And um, when, when we're looking at the, the stuff that's going on today and what's relevant, what is, what's relevant? It's, it's something that's applicable for life. It's what we use every single day, relevance. And so we say, well, God's word is relevant. Yeah, it's relevant, but what do you do with that? You know, you have something, is, is it relevant just so you can pick it apart and make it a part of an opinion? Or is it relevant to to the, the fact that it is factual and it's usable and, 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 and something that we apply and actually, and actually do it. Lord have mercy, we actually do it. And so relevance, that's the word I wanted to bring up because when we start talking about God's word and we start talking about its relevance, we can, well, it's, easy, it's easy to agree that God's word is relevant. Okay, I agree with you. You agree with me, I agree with you. The, the, God, the Word of God is relevant, but what do we do with that relevance? Do we actually use it? Or is it a kind of like a, a mantelpiece? A mantelpiece. There are a lot of people that have God's Word in their homes, and they will claim its relevance, but it is sitting up somewhere as a mantelpiece. Now, that's understanding relevance by not actually doing relevance. Does that make sense? And so I want to lay that because we're going to talk about these messages that have been delivered to the church. I think it's very important that we get the, 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 the message and the wording of what was conveyed here because it is relevant today for sure. I'll say, so as you explore Christ's words to these churches, keep your local church in mind. Absolutely. Identify what Jesus notes as positives. How does your church measure up? Explore the exhortations of Jesus. How could they influence your church to a higher level of faithfulness? Remember that the struggles in your church aren't new, and you, too, can overcome. One thing that the Lord had revealed to me, uh, it shouldn't even have been a revelation, but it was a revelation to me. You ever had one of those things where it's like a revelation to you, and then you tell somebody, and they're like, yeah, you didn't know that? <laughs> I've had that happen a couple of times. So, you know, I mean, we have a tendency, or maybe I do. I have a tendency. I'll put myself out there. I have a tendency to look when we start talking about the body. I always think local. That's all. I always think local. I always think of like this church right here. I was like, okay, I think about the body. Who's who's it at the, in the church that's the arm and the feet and the legs? And I always like to, you know, you kind of come up with examples in your mind about how that works for your local church. One thing that the Lord had, had revealed to me not too long ago was that I was only looking at it on a local level and not a global scale. In that your church, your church is part of a body. It's part of the body. And so what is your church? Is your church a foot? Is your church a hand? Is your church a torso? As a collective group, where does your church stand? And see, what are we known as? Now, I don't know how this works in the spirit realm, but what are we known as in this area? We know this is the Bible Belt. You get what I'm saying? A piece of the body. What part are we in the body? And I think that brings up an interesting point that sometimes we only think about it on a local scale, not on a global scale, not on a big scale. And so we have this ability to influence people. We've already talked about that. 
And then we we talking about the lesson this morning. It says, how can they or we influence uh, church to a higher level of faithfulness? Remember that the struggles in your church aren't new and that you too can overcome. Yeah, not new and, and really uh, broad across the... You think about some of the, the, the laws that have been sanctioned and levied against uh, churches across the nation right now. Think about California. Think about the ban of worship. Think, think about that. Think about that. That is, you think, oh, man, that's, that's bad. That's not a good thing for those people. Those people are your brothers and sisters. You may forget that. You may, you may think, well, that's good. I'm over here. You are part of the body, so whatever's going on in one part of the body should affect the other. So we should look at them, and that, that should grieve us, thinking that the kind of battle. So we're in prayer, right? We're in prayer for these things because that's happening to the body. You know, it's, it's kind of like, you know, it's like, well, you got this hand over here, and it's hurting, and it's aching. And the other hand says, well, you're holding us up. Well, that's not going to work, right? <laughs> no, we, we're, we're together. We're, we're, we're a body. And so you think of the struggles you think, well, we struggle here with certain things, and people struggle with other things in other areas. Um, so it's, but it's a struggle overall for everyone to accomplish the, the task at hand. Okay, let's read our scriptures, page 42. Got some ground to cover this morning, but we're going we're gonna to cover it. Sean, can you do it? Yep. <laughs> <clears throat> Unto the or Revelations 2 1. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write these things, saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of its place, except thou repent. But this thou hast, that thou hast the deeds of the Nicolaitans. Nicolaitans? Yeah. I knew there was going to be some big words. That's all, yeah. That's all right, you're good. It's all good. Uh, which I also hate. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of thee the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God, and unto the angel of the church of Smyrna, 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 write these things. Uh, write these things that things saith the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, and yet may be tired, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. And to the angel of the church of Pergamos, Pur Pergamos, thank you. Right, these things say he which has sharp sword with two edges. Repent, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh, he will I give to eat of the hidden manna, and will give him a white stone, 
and in the stone a new name is written with no with which no man knoweth saving he that receiveth it and unto the angel of the church of Tyria Tyria right these things saith the son of God who has his eyes like unto a flame of fire and his feet are like fine brass but that which ye have already held fast till I come and he that overcometh and keepeth my words until the end to him I will give power over the nations very good okay section one Ephesus return to first love this as we said before this is a lesson or a message to the churches uh, relevant to today now you know these these whoever wrote these and I I mean we get our literature from different individuals um, what I think is interesting about this is that nobody really knew what was going to happen today when this thing was written I mean it wasn't like it was planned and so what do I think about that well I think it's a challenge and, and I, I think it's a dynamic challenge a dynamic challenge for the church today to, to pay attention to what is actually being said here um, and to see if they they match up uh, Ephesus returned to first love Ephesus was a prominent metropolis in ancient Asia Minor as the site of the renowned temple of Artemis it flourished with trade and tourism so so what is that if you had trade and tourism which is only two but if you had trade for that matter what did you have prosperity prosperous you know things were going well for him Jesus commanded the uh, the Ephesians uh, commitment to or commended sorry Jesus commended the Ephesians commitment to purity it was a good thing right good job guys hey you, you're doing good you're keeping yourselves pure they refused to put up with wickedness in their midst would you consider that a relevant thing today get keeping keep evil out of this thing we're gonna we're gonna shun evil it says they also tested and exposed false apostles absolutely they uh, who were among them years before the Apostle Paul warned that the Ephesians would face these challenges the next commendation from the Lord revealed their perseverance in the midst of the pressures of a city that promoted idolatry magical arts and emperor worship the Ephesians remained true to the gospel and endured hardship for Jesus hey we're rounding up this this view here of the Ephesians and it would seem as though they have the total package they have, they have the total package. Uh, it seems like they, they, I mean, they're shunning evil, uh, exposing false doctrine. Um, they're, uh, they're resisting idolatry, magical arts, and emperor worship, right? This is important stuff for today. Amen. Uh, and they remained true to the gospel and endured hardship for Jesus. Which, and here's, here's another angle of that. I want you to remember that because a lot of times this is what gets elevated the persecution aspect of it or the the hardship for Jesus is that important to endure absolutely it's important but not to forget one important thing let's go on and so the Lord's rebuke may seem surprising given the nature of his commendations while they engaged in serving the Lord they had lost the intensity of that first love now you got to go back over this because once this is what I was referring to as the challenge this is the challenge because you say well you, you know you're you're following the gospel and you're doing all these things but you are not in love 
with the Savior anymore. I'm not in love. Now I'm going to bring up, I'm going to finish this paragraph and then I'll, I'm going to tell you something. Simply put, they had the right doctrines and were vigilant in their purity, but were lacking in their love. Yet Jesus offered a way of amends, calling them to recapture their earlier zeal and return to that first love. Perhaps there was a degree of reprioritizing that needed to take place. I was listening, I was on a lunch the other day and I was down at the park and I was listening to uh, Francis Chan. I don't know if any of you have listened to him before. I've listened to Francis Chan off and on uh, throughout the years, and he always has some really good stuff to say. He said something that really made me think, and I'm going to say the same thing that he said. It's not me. I didn't come up with this. Uh, but he said something that challenged me, challenged my spirit when I heard him say this. He was talking about heaven. He said, you know, heaven and, and all its beauty, think about it. He said, if you had a you got your guarantee, you're going to heaven. And You've, you're going to have a grand reunion with all your loved ones. You have unlimited time there and eternity. Scripturally, uh, there's a mansion prepared for you, a place prepared for you in heaven specifically for you. And all of these great things and splendor in the things of heaven, he said, now here's my question. Would you be okay with staying there if Jesus wasn't present? And I had never thought about it that way. I was like, wait a second, that didn't make no sense. There's no, there's no Jesus without heaven. There's no heaven without Jesus. But the, the, the question was, is, was not to undo the truth. It was to simply ask, if Jesus wasn't there, would you be okay with that? Because he said, I can tell you that's a good measuring tool as to whether you're in love with him or not. Come on. I was like, whoa, that really is challenging. He's like, you okay with being with your family? You'll be okay with being all these, with all these lost, you know, all the loved ones that have gone on before you and your forefathers and all these people. But if Jesus isn't there, are you okay with that? Because if you're okay with it, you might want to regroup and rethink about where you actually stand. And you may Amen. actually love Jesus for what he can give you and not for him and who he is. I sat right there and I said, pause. <laughs> I don't want to hear anymore. But I really need to chew on this. So it's, it's gripped me. So I, I come back to this, uh, this lesson this morning, and this seems to be exactly the, the picture, is that we have a, a, a group of people who are doing everything right. And sometimes I wonder, maybe, maybe Christians are living, maybe Christians are living to get into heaven with just good enough. You know, just, I mean... Just barely, you know. By nature, we're uh, we're um, what's the word I'm looking for? We have we have a tendency to put things off. Let's just put it that way. Procrastination. Procrastination. That's the word I'm looking for. We're natural procrastinators. We put things off, and and we do things that are just you know kind of in between sometimes. And I think that Christians a lot of times apply those same type of procrastinating thinking and rules and all those other things that we do with the rest of our life, like cleaning the garage, is I think sometimes we put Jesus in the same group as cleaning the garage. Oh, we can do it later. Yeah, we, we, can, we, can, we can take care of that part later. I go to church. I go, I go to church. I, I do these. I read, I read the Bible. But here, that, that, that challenges me. Am I really in love with him? Am I, have I lost my first love? Have I lost that fervency 
and the joy of being able to be in his presence. So, um, it says throughout Revelation 2 or 3, you will note that Jesus concluded uh, each letter with a promise to the ones who overcome. The promises are geared toward the challenges faced by each community. This was certainly true of Ephesus. As the Ephesians returned to their original affections, he would give them fruit from the tree of life. We too have the sure hope of eternal life as we stay true to our first love. So, just quick backtrack. I'm going back over here, and I wanted to just look at some of the things that were said. So, um, it said uh, the commitment to purity, refused um, to pick up, uh, you know, refused wickedness in their midst, tested uh, and exposed false doctrines. Uh, they resisted idolatry, magical arts, emperor worship, uh, stayed true to the true gospel. Man, you would think that you was going to get an award. A reward, let's put it that way, a reward for what you are doing. But that's not what the, the end result was. The end result was you are not in love with me anymore. You are not, you don't have the fervency of love. You don't love me anymore. You do these things, but we're not in love anymore. Amen. And that's, that's very challenging. It might sound a little strange, but it's like they were churchy, but not godly. Right, no, that's, that's it, exactly. Return to the first love, and and well, we know that you know love is love is the greatest gift of all. I mean, if you if we we've, we've lost that, we lost the love factor. Then I mean, we've lost everything. Um, Jim, do you have something you want to say, and then I'm going to move to well, section two. covered it pretty good. I guess we all do that. You know, some we we'll get uh, so wrapped up in the things in the church, that we forget about Jesus and the cross. Hey, you know, that's a good point. Yeah, but we need to remember Jesus mm -hmm. and the cross all the time, comes first. Yeah, and all these other things behind it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The love comes first. That's that, that's real good. Sean and then Thelma. And that, I mean, if we don't love God, how are we going to love anybody else? I, I, at one point in time, we were we were that sinner. We were we were that person that needed God's help and God's love. Right. And if we don't continually try to walk in His love and do things out of love, then it's out of selfishness. Right. And, and they may have been doing all these awesome things, but were they doing it for God? Or were they doing it for other people to help yeah. save them from the idolatry and the sins? Or were they trying to save their own hives? Mm -hmm. Well, and that's a good point, too. And it seems to be there might be a, a bit of unpacking, too, there. They've unpacked love from uh, from the actual use of, of, of serving Jesus. They just took it and put it over the side and said, well, we're going to do all the things that are we need to be doing, but not actually love. And I think that's a good point. So I'm going to go ahead. We had a person in our family here four or five years ago. That's a really good point, and that really challenges the relationship part of it again, and not 
not what can you give me, but how do I know you? That's that's a challenge for the entire church. I think that's great. Very good. Thank you, guys. Good. Yeah. That's different than just right. neglecting once in a while, but there's something that's occurred. Mm-hmm. More attention on something else than should be. Well, first love uh, is it. Mm-hmm. But when you leave it, you're, you're moving away from it. Right. You're distancing yourself, even rejecting it, really. Right. I think we need to also you know, look back at, and I wish I had time to get into this, but the, some of the, um, oh, uh, I'll blank this morning, God, forgive me. Um, some of the, the things that play into falling in love, some of the things that actually are evident when someone's in love and whether that evidence is there or whether it's not. I mean, when you're in love, there's a bit of fervency and excitement. And, and I mean, it's, just, it's new. And, of course, we know it doesn't always stay right there. But at the same time, I think that's the kind of fervency that he's talking about. It's kind of love. He's like, you know, you obviously it was important enough for him to mention it and to bring it up. You've abandoned it. It's gone. You don't have a love for me anymore. So I think that's, uh, I wish I had time to get into all those things and I think those are factors too. Um, okay, section two, Smyrna remained faithful. The ancient city of Smyrna was built partly on the shore and partly on a hill topped with temples and other important buildings. As such, it too was a key city in Asia Minor. The Lord noted how the, uh, the Smyrna Christians had endured poverty and tribulation Okay, they, they, we got an enduring group here. Endure poverty, right? Okay, tribulation. This hardship was likely as a result of their faithfulness to Jesus and refusal to participate in idolatrous activities. Thus, amid their struggles, their spiritual wealth was everlasting. Okay, so we've got some commendations here. Say, hey, you've been faithful. You've been true. You've been poor. You ain't had a lot to work with, but you still remain faithful. So Jesus' encouragement included a warning about the future. They would face a time of harsh persecution. Satan himself would bring this about through human authorities. Now, I don't have a lot of time to get into this, and you know I like to talk about some of these things often, and Pastor and I, we talk about them often. Um, one of the things that you can, you can definitely see that are going on in our society today is, is an is a action, or a, I should say a, a, a levying of laws against Christian community. Now, you can seem like they're broad spectrum, but they play into and affect the church directly. And so what that is, is that is a form of persecution. So when you take certain rights away and enable the church to be able to, the freedom to do what they were doing before, that pushes the church into a situation where they have to make decisions uh, contrary to uh, laws levied against them in order to remain faithful to their God. So you see that that is exactly what we're starting to see today. Now, I understand and I get it. It's, it's, uh, we're, we're here and it's great. We're here. That's fantastic. But that's one thing you have to pay attention to because we are, one of the great things uh, about living in a, a democracy is that we get to, to hear the people's voice and the, to vote and, and, and those type of things. Those are great things. But if certain things get implanted in that system that's one vulnerable thing about the system of democracy is that if certain things get planted in that it can become corrupt and then it can corrupt everything that we'd ever known 
Now, I'm not saying, and I'm not going to get on the, the bandwagon about corruption and what I think is corrupt and what's not. Don't think that I'm, I'm talking about that. I'm just saying that don't think for a second that your perfect system can't be taken and corrupted and turned upside down, because it can. It can, and it will, if God's people don't step up and, and battle that. So, some of the Smyrna Christians were even, uh, would even face imprisonment and death. In light of this, Jesus charged them to be faithful to the end. He's like, oh, hang on there. Hang on until the end. You got some stuff coming down the pipe. It's going to be tough. Uh -huh. Don't don't give up. Stay with it. Two promises were given to these believers. Those who endured the coming persecution would receive a crown of life, and the overcomers would not, would not experience a spiritual death. And so they were both poor and rich. Facing slander and death, but waiting life everlasting. And I, the perspective here is great. You know, he's calling them to cast off the perspective of the day. He's like, you got some things coming that are going to challenge your faithfulness. You're gonna, you got some things coming that are going to challenge uh, your commitment to truth. Do, do you see some things today that are challenging the church's commitment to truth? Amen. Sure. You're, you're, seeing, you're seeing churches stand up in the name of something else. And, you know, it's, it's crafty, too, because it's not, it looks like it's good. It looks like it's good until you get to dig and you try to, you, you begin to find out that people are abandoning their faith. You think, oh, that's nonsense, Tanner. Well, of course, they're not going to report it on CNN. Who's abandoning their faith? <laughs> that's, not, that's not what they do. They're, but... The, the circles and the statistics and the, the things that I'm seeing, I'm seeing people that were once faithful abandoning that faith and taking a support of something, a different stance, a different view, and, and, and an abandoning what was originally known as, as the, the true gospel. Popularity is taking the place of the truth. Mm-hmm. Maintain popularity, you gotta sway with the culture. Right. No, that's that's what we're saying. You're after crowds and money. That's exactly where you're at. Mm -hmm. The Bible doesn't say anywhere that you're going to gather millions by preaching the truth. Yeah. Well, and you're gather a lot of folks by preaching otherwise. Yeah, and acceptance. I think it's a big thing too. Just simple acceptance. We just want to be accepted. Don't bother us. We want to be over here and we want to do our thing. We've already talked about this. We have to be involved, and you have to be involved to a fault. I mean, you really do. You have to be involved to a fault and, and stand for the things that, that we know that the Bible says. And that when, that when that happens, that stirs up trouble. That stirs up fuss. That stirs up tension. Uh, I'm just like you. I mean, I, I wish that we could just be quiet and go hide and just wait till it's all settled down and over. But we, God's people, have got to stand up and say, hey, we're not, we're not going to let you take away our worship. You, all right, you with me? You can't take away my worship. I'm going to worship. I'm going to worship the Lord, and I'm going to worship with my brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm not going to let you take that away from me. Simple example. If youth are not taught the truth, if they're just entertaining and not taught the truth, what's that get them? And if we don't teach them by word and by practice or by example, yep. even worship, how are they going to get it? They're not. Mm -hmm. And that's something else that we're seeing in this day and time. Moving away from the true aspects of the Bible and mm -hmm. teaching of it into things that are popular and entertaining sure. and draw yep. draw the humanness 
Period. Absolutely. Yeah, we definitely see that today, and we've talked a lot about that in here about the 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 effect that it has on our youth and and, and telling the truth to our children. And and you know, we all want to be friends, you know, with our with our young people, but we we just simply can't all the time. We have to lay down certain guidelines that have to be followed and say, look, we're going to stick with this. We're going to follow it. And that's the way we're going to follow it. And then whatever you decide to do when you're older is your decision. But we are going to do the right thing now. And I think that's a a teaching um, that's not always popular because everybody wants, it's like, well, things are tough in my house. You don't really realize how it is, you know, and we just kind of let our kids kind of do whatever they want. It's like, man, I'm telling you, it's dangerous. It's dangerous in this day and time to allow our kids to, the leverage to do whatever they want. Um, section three, we still got a little ways to go, guys. Pergamos holds the truth. Pergamos had a lofty history. A Greek dynasty ruled the city as their capital until it came under Roman rule. The environs of the city included a hill with temples to, uh, to several deities, including Zeus, Athena, and Asclepius the God of healing or medicine. Jesus acknowledged the challenging environment that the church faced as Pergamos, referring to the city of Satan's throne and the habitation of Satan. What would it be like to live there? <laughs> I mean, I mean, think about this. He acknowledged the challenging environment that the church faced at Pergamos, referring to the city as Satan's throne and the habitation of Satan. Sometimes... And, and I mean this in a very funny and a loose way, but it's kind of be kind of like living in Las Vegas right. and trying to have a Pentecostal church there. I mean, you're, you, environmentally, you're going to be under a lot of challenge and scrutiny. In the face of these hostile demonic powers, Jesus commended the church for holding to the truth, singling out a Christian man named Antipas who was killed for his faith. In spite of their faithfulness to Christ, the Christians at Pergamos had not been careful with their doctrines. Jesus referred specifically to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. I think that's how you say it. They had been leading the church away from truth and into flirting with idolatry and sexual immorality, even while calling themselves followers of Christ. Okay, so the question would be is, then what was exactly the problem? They weren't actually fully engaged, but they were flirting with it. So, So tell me... So tell me what flirting is. I mean, if, 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 well, let's, if we're going to talk about it from the way that the lesson presents it, what would it mean if you were flirting with idolatry and sexual immorality? Going the wrong way. You going the wrong way, and you sure enough, you, you sure enough are thinking about it? Showing interest. You showing a lot of interest. That's a good way to put it, showing interest. Flirting is an attempt to gain a relationship. Right. Exactly. Some sort of attention. And so... He said, you're flirting with this. You're flirting with idolatry and sexual immorality. Now, what was this? You think, well, that's, that's pretty bad stuff. You know, that stuff goes on out there. This was the church. This was the church of that day. He said, you guys are... Yeah. You, you've, got, you've got a double-fold issue here that you need to uh, take care of. And how can we be accurate as Christians, if we can't get under wraps the very thing that should have died when we were saved. I mean, I, go, I could go a long way with the scriptures, you know, should be on the, 
meat, but you're still on the milk and all of these other things. We could go into a lot of different areas of that. But see, here was the, the, the thing he was telling them. He said, you're leading people away. You're still calling yourself a follower and you're leading people a, a, astray. You're telling them that these things are okay. Can we see, can we see some of this today? Can we see the parallels? Pastor was saying, can we see the parallels? Don't think for a second. Don't think for a second that just because that this uh, Pergamos was named individually, that this, you could, you could call it a spirit of Pergamos that is across the land in this idea that sexual immorality and all these other things have somehow been licensed to a certain extent within churches. You'd be blown away if you heard some of the stories of, of people that have been found out of doing things in churches and leadership positions. Um, and you think that was actually going on? There was actually a network of this kind of junk going on? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, it's a warning. Jesus gave the Pergamos believers a warning. If they did not return to holiness, Jesus would fight against them with the sword in John's vision. Well, they're already in uh, a bad situation, right? They're already in a place that the environment is already challenging. They already have somebody fighting against them, right? Amen. And so not only do we have somebody fighting against us, but now he says, now you're going to have me to deal with. Uh -huh. I'm going to fight against you if you don't get this right. Real quick, you said it a moment ago. These are not just objects or things. They're spirits. Right. Spirit of Pergamos. I like, like the church. They're, they're akin to induce and, and seduce. Mm -hmm. And that's it's been prevalent through history. These very same sure. things. Yeah. And that's what the church is always faced. But when you grow weak in the Holy Spirit, then you can't expect anything other than this other thing to come in and start influencing. Yeah. Things. And we've talked about that before. If one thing, you're either going to have one thing present or another, but you, you won't play a happy medium. You won't. There, there's no, there is no happy medium. Either there, you know, like, like we said, like the scripture says, you're either going to be hot or cold. Yeah. You will be one or the other, but you will not be somewhere in between. It's not going to work. You can't. Okay. Yet Jesus had also had a wonderful twofold promise involving manna and a white stone. This imagery spoke both to Jesus as the bread of life and likely to the fact that they would be found blameless in God's eyes. A white stone was used by ancient juries to indicate innocence. What an encouragement. Those faithful to Christ are judged blameless and live in the sure hope of everlasting life. And here, once again, we come back to the, um, the reward. And even though it doesn't really come out and say that, per se, we come back to the reward that he is, he's reminding them and encouraging them. Remember, if you'll stay faithful, there's something waiting on the other side for you. Amen. There's, just remain faithful. Don't abandon ship. Stay where you're at. And there's some good things waiting for you. And he always refers to that as eternal life. And I've, I want, I've been talking about this lately because I think that sometimes we forget that that is the prize. That, that it's not just a prize per se. It is eternal life. You notice the way he'll reference it with me. With, with him in heaven, with Jesus, with truth. And so I, I call you back to that to remember. It's like, yeah, we go through a lot of enduring things, and, and we, sometimes we put too much emphasis on this life, and on the world's worst about doing that is we put too much emphasis on what goes down here, knowing that, man, you know, you take my life. If I've remained faithful to the Lord, I'm going to be with him. That's my prize. 
So regardless of what kind of smoke you throw at me, you may threaten my life and you may tell me you, you're going to take it from me. All I got to say is, is that it? I mean, if, if you know you've been faithful and you know what's ahead for you and you know that life everlasting is after this and that the, the, the maximum threat that anybody can receive down here is that somebody would want to take their life. That's a maximum threat. That's the maximum threat any human can levy against you. They, 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 there is nothing, there's nothing more that they can do to you than just take your life. But see, Jesus, being our intermediator now, and, and what we've been asked to do is accept the finished work, and that we understand that the Bible says that don't be afraid of the ones who can take your life, but the one who can condemn the soul. And it's something that stuck with me for a long time. It's like, look, you're going to come and kill me? What? That's it. You're going to take my life from me? There's a lot of people put a lot of emphasis on that. And I know it's, yeah, it's, it's a bad thing. It's, it's awful. But this is not it. This is not it. This is not all there is. So if, if we've been bought by the blood, then we should probably act like it. I'm telling that to myself. Amen. If I've been bought by the blood, then I should be firmly planted on this, this fact that, you know what? It's great to, to live here and to do the things that we're doing. It's a gift. I consider it a gift. But if you want to come and you want to tell me you're going to take my life away from me, if I don't do what you want me to do or if I don't, if I don't uh, renounce my God and do what you that it? That's it. The God that I serve can condemn my soul, so I'll be happy to give you whatever you want in this life because I know it's coming in the next. So I think that's a good perspective uh, to remember. Uh, section four, Thyatira, increase in good works. Thyatira was a smaller city, yet quite wealthy and well-known, especially for a special process of dyeing fabrics. Commercial guilds uh, here were well-organized and it was difficult to do any business without membership. Uh, going back, to, I wanted to point out once again that this is another one of the wealthy places. Not poverty stricken, this is wealth. They're enjoying a lot of wealth. I mention wealth because that's the way we enjoy it. I, I think that we're kind of like, in, in the United States, we're kind of like one of the wealthier ones. When you give an example of a wealthy country, you know, the United States is what I think of, and then I go back to one of these, these churches. Since the Christians at Thyatira had carelessly allowed false teaching, leading to a belief that God's grace gives a license to sin freely. <laughs> What's interesting to me, and just a couple parallels here, think about this, think about this parallel. Wealthy countries and wealthy people have a tendency to start thinking that grace is a license to sin. Why that is attached to wealth, I'm not quite sure, but we can see the parallels, even in the biblical times, that when there was wealth, they kind of had a tendency to think they kind of do what they want. And that's interesting to me. It's almost like it's ingrained in the culture itself. Those are some things to even pay attention to in our own country. That this idea that, you know, it's like, but I'm free though. I'm free, right? I'm free and I can kind of do as I please. Well, if you take that concept and you just apply it to your spiritual life, man, we're going to go horribly wrong. We're going to find ourselves in a, a, a place of spiritual destitution. And I think that's a wake-up call. I think it's a wake-up call for all Christians that, that there is no license under grace to be able to just do what you want. And I understand that we may 
tell ourselves cognitively, I get it, but do we really get that in the heart? Because it seems to me that there's some interesting parallels between wealthy societies and this idea of a license. So just, you know, take it with you and study that. The teachings of a false prophetess called Jezebel had led some into this evil practice of mixing the Christian faith with idolatry and immorality. Yet Jesus ended with a note of comfort to those who would reject these teachings and do his will. The call was simple and straightforward. Hold fast till I come. Amen. That's good. He said, hold fast till I come. Hold on to what you're doing until I make the return. Was there a promise that everything would just get all better? No. No, there wasn't. There wasn't a promise of a, a predictable environment. There's no, there was no promise there. There's no promise of a guaranteed income. No promise. There's no promise of some of those things that we like in our nation, that we like to have. Is it wrong to have those things? No, it's not at all. But as we look at the overall experience as a Christian, we start to notice, and I said this, I think, Wednesday night, that a lot of what is guaranteed to you and me is internalized. Not everything, but a lot of what you and I have been guaranteed is right here in what's to come. Think about that. And so what do we do? What do, what do wealthy what does a wealthy society do with God's promises? A lot of what they do is they take the promises and they convert them over to carnality and materialism. God would promise me this, and he would give me this, and he would give me this, and he would give us all these things. Knowing, though, that there really isn't anything regulating that other than the fact that you already just live in a wealthy society, and that's just the way that it is. It's a lot easier to come by things here in this nation than it is in other nations. I remember... I was watching that. Uh, I was watching that documentary, and and uh, of that poor village, and, that, and the richest man in the village was a janitor. The richest man in the village was a janitor, and he worked for a for a uh, a low, very low income hospital that helped villagers. And anytime something bad happened, they would turn to that individual to help the family. That's who they would turn to. They would go to him and say, "Look." We're in trouble. We've got some, uh, we've got some financial difficulty and financial issues. They go to the janitor and ask him for money. Now, in our society, you can look at the the, the, the desirable jobs, and the de I would I would safely say that being a janitor isn't the most desirable job for anybody. I don't know anybody in here that would want to go ahead and turn in their application for that if they can avoid it. But in this in that culture, that was actually pure wealth it was pure wealth I'm telling you this because I think that we need to be very careful as a wealthy society to watch how we even view God and what he says he'll give us in his word and his promises and not take them and then sh shift them to where they meet what we want them to meet do we love God because he gives us houses and money or do we love God for who he is Come on. so that's an interesting thought the teachings of false prophets um, called Jezebel, I'm sorry, and I already made it past that, uh, idolatry and immorality, um, and I want to read this, this last sentence there, last sentence in that paragraph. Though they were currently suffering, orchestrated by neighbors and tempted by friends, they held the hope that Jesus would return and they would find life. So, no guarantee of the future. Amen. No guarantee. Don't know what's coming. 
Don't know how it's all going to turn out. We don't know. But we know that what's ahead for the believer. For the believer. So this has been a, a lesson to really make us rethink our positioning in the kingdom. Because, I mean, if, if, if God to us, if, if every time that we view God, if, if God is only a God that can give us things. Uh-huh. If God is the God that gives us things. If God is the God of... of uh, you know, like we talked about before, and we joked about it, like kind of like a vending machine. It's like, okay, things are bad, and I need you to give me something. Things are tough, and I need you to kick me out a blessing. Well, I mean, if that's our view of God all of the time, then do we really have a relationship with Him? Or do we? I mean, do we actually do we know Him as an individual? I would say that we don't. If the only thing that we want Him for is almost like, it's, it's almost like treating Him like a sugar daddy. It's like, I want you for what you can give me. And and I'm I'm good with going to church just so long as the blessings are there. And I'm good with with all of these things just so long as I can see some gain by doing it. I mean, think about that. That's a challenging thought because that challenges me and I hope that challenges you because we live in a nice, wealthy society and, and we get, I mean, I don't know where you guys are going for lunch today, but you pretty well go out today and eat. Whatever it is that you want, if you're willing to drive. Do you know that there's, there, we're one of the very few societies on the planet that can actually say they can even do that? There's no other society that can do that. There's no other society that can actually drive 30 miles in any direction and pretty well eat whatever they want. Can't happen. And so that makes me rethink about how we live privileged. It's great here. It's great. Amen. But let's make sure that we don't take the God of the universe and shove him in a cultural box and turn him into something that he is not. Uh-huh. I mean, he's the, he's the king. He's the king of wealthy cultures and he's the king of poor cultures. He's the king across the board. And I think the Christians today, we need to make sure that we're in love with the king. Not for what he can give us and not for what he can do for us, but for just who he is. I'm out of time, guys. God bless you. Thanks. <laughs>